Hello, everybody. Happy Turkey Day. Happy Turkey. This is the post-Turkey Day. This is the day of, uh, what do we do? We do leftovers. We have... Uh, this leftovers, is the... sleeping. Basically, yes. Courtney and I decided a long time ago not to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving anymore. And so what we do is we, on Thanksgiving, we still eat a lot. Like, that's the part that we like. But um, of instead of celebrating... You know, us like wiping out all of the Native Americans. We get food from a different country and just eat too much of that food. Oh, lovely. So yeah. what was uh, what was this year's? I don't know, because we're pre-recording this. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be we have to be honest. No tall tales here. Right. Of course. I would never embellish anything. <laughs> and plus, you know, if you can see uh, the wardrobe, people will be like, man, do they even change clothes? Yeah, I know. I'm wearing the same shirt as you'll see at the Christmas episode. <laughs> so I thought it would be fun looking forward. You know, I was going to go in these archive shows back to the beginning and just go in order, but it's Thanksgiving. And um, so there, I did a Thanksgiving episode. You don't say. It was a part two of a five-part series, so I figured we should watch all five. Okay. So where yeah. are we going back now? Is this 2013? Is this how far back are we going in the Wayback Machine? This is November of 2013 called Bitten Part 1, Haunting Season Zombie Part 1. Wow. All right. So uh, seven years. Let's let's go take a journey back in time. What do you yeah, think? let's watch Part 1 and then check in. My brother bit me. That's how this all started. It ogles my mind that it could have happened that way. Something so simple. But it did. We was at school and there was this nasty flu going around. Making all the kids super aggressive. Biting and scratching and just fighting each other. Dylan's six. So he's a little older than the bite or flight crowd, but I guess young enough that it's still in his instinct once the sickness took over. My mom had picked him up. The principal was just flinging any kid who bit anyone out of school. She was so fed up with the whole ordeal. But the kids didn't care. I mean, they couldn't help it. The reality was that these kids were in stage one of this awful disease. One that would spread like wildfire and threaten our very existence as human beings. The disease started in the children because of their developing immune systems. It got in quickly and started reproducing and evolving so that it could conquer the rest of us. Some got it worse than others. Some rejected it. But at this point, all we knew was get bit and you'll want to bite it started upstate, and it got to us from this family that got out of a town upstate just before the quarantine. This had been happening for about a week, and had spread all throughout New York State and was heading towards the city. Once the state realized it was a real problem, they started calling in the military to quarantine the towns before it could hit the city, where it could really thrive. With all those millions of people packed in together, who knows how strong the strain could become. People were forced to stay in town. Men and women away on business were forced to stay out of town. Businesses were shut down. Schools, hospitals, no use getting the sick sicker. 
People were stuck. Our little compartmental societies were at a standstill. But some people are like rats. When they're trapped, they'll do just about anything to get out. And that's exactly how our town got it. I was home for Thanksgiving, as was every college student in the country. And we were to stay home until further notice, until this thing was taken care of. Which made me super anxious, because I had just landed my first serious girlfriend in two years. And I didn't want her to forget about me. But I also didn't want to text her too much. I had to play it cool. Most of our conversations were just thinking of you. Huh. Me too. Well, about you, I mean. LOL, come visit me. I don't have a car. I miss you. I miss you too. And then... <laughs> nothing. Why do I suck so bad at this? I needed to talk to her on the phone. But right then my mom got home with Dylan and sent him to his room. Or our room. Great. I resented my parents for making me share a room. But after college, who could blame them? And my old room was turned into an office so my mom could become a photographer again. Now that parenting was settling down, she could have her life back. But in this moment, I was furious. I asked her, can't, can't you just put him anywhere? Anywhere but here? But she reiterated that he was sick and asked me just to watch him until she could figure things out. And I'm a good kid, so I did. I watched him as he snarled his teeth at me, squished his back into a corner, and got really angry at his ears. Like, there's invisible bugs flying around them. I tried to talk to him, to soothe him, to try and get him into bed so he could rest, and that's when he bit me hard on the forearm, breaking skin. And that's when my story started. Can I call you Josh Dradamus? What <laughs> the heck? 2013? There's words there, buzzwords that would have seemed so foreign. Quarantine? Schools shutting down? Yeah. It's uh, frighteningly reminiscent. And now, uh, of course, I have to ask, uh, is this based on a true story? <laughs> <laughs> there are always elements of truth in my stories. We are just learning about what happens when you get, when you get bit. Yeah, there's four more parts to this. I obviously had a cold, but because of the way I was shooting the show, it was... Uh, it was weekly, you know, like I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times. You can't, yeah, there's no, you can't cancel. So I'm obviously sick. I'm not in the studio and uh, I'm recording on a webcam, which is not very flattering. You look great. 
And editing wise, what's interesting to me is I have this whole like that whole moment with the girlfriend is interesting, but there's this like when Harry met Sally kind of like jazz piano going on. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) There's this uncertain doom that's possibly, you know, that we're expecting. But then there's kind of like this little love story that's going on or this misconnection kind of thing. And we should see where it goes. Okay. This one is called Worst Thanksgiving Ever. Ever. Which is why uh, we we chose it for this week. After I got bit, things started to change rapidly. I remember dinner that night was weird. I was so hungry. So was Dylan. We both ate a tremendous amount. My parents were confused and got upset with us because we didn't want any bread or any salad or any potatoes. We just wanted steak. Tons of steak. After dinner, Dylan got sent to his room as per Dad's request, and I got questioned about his behavior and mine. I didn't tell them about the bite. I kept it hidden under a thick sweater, only itched it when no one was looking. I didn't mind sharing my room anymore. Dylan was much more docile, which I now know is because he infected me with his bite, and the pheromones that my body was secreting were saying, One of us. We went to bed, hopeful for tomorrow, because tomorrow was Thanksgiving, and we could eat a whole lot of turkey. Bugs in my head, buzzing around in my ears, in my head. It took me a few minutes to realize it wasn't a dream, and a few more to realize it wasn't actually bugs. Or was it? No, it, it couldn't be. Swarms of bugs don't just climb into your head. I had to create a mental block to ignore it. It went away for Dylan, so I just had to wait it out. No need to tell mom and dad. I looked over at Dylan, lying on his bed, never moving, just lying there with his eyes open, staring at the ceiling. Finally, the sun started coming up. I had been meditating for several hours, which I assume was working because the buzzing was subsiding. I allowed myself to break my concentration for the first time in hours. And when I turned to Dylan, he was still on his back. In the same position, eyes open towards the ceiling. Unmoved. Could he be? No. I'm sure it's just some weird side effect or something. I inched closer to him. Afraid to touch him. Afraid of what I might learn as the early morning turkey smells began to seep their way under the door. My stomach grumbled. My mouth was wet. How could I be hungry already? One step away from the bed where Dylan laid, I paused to say a small prayer. Please, God, don't let him be dead. Then I reached out my hand to his small, lifeless body. He's cold. That is a doornail, as they say. 
No. No, 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 no. It couldn't be. I was awake all night. How could I, how could I miss something like this? I, I pushed him. Nothing. I pushed him again. Nothing. I punched him. Fuck you, Dylan! Nothing. What am I supposed to tell mom and dad? I beat on his chest and, and I shook him and I held him. Nothing. Nothing! I was in shock. Just sitting there. When my mom knocked on the door. Matt! Family's gonna be here soon. Gotta get up. Okay. I spoke automatically. And I sat there. Panicking. I sat there and listened as family member after family member arrived. Sat there for three reminders from mom. Sat there until the smell of the turkey was so unbearable that all I could think of was eating. It took over my brain. Every single ounce of my being was focused on food, protein, turkey. So much so that I completely forgot about Dylan. Forgot to even shut the door or change out of my pajamas. I just went straight for the kitchen where the family was sharing a glass of wine and gawking over the size of the bird that my dad had just placed on the countertop. Time to make the gravy, he chimed, like a perfectly timed holiday cuckoo clock. There was a crash somewhere behind me, but I ignored it. I entered the room. I needed that bird. I had to have turkey. Where's Dylan? My aunt asked. Bed. I said truthfully and efficiently, making my way towards the turkey. Oh, I'll get him up. It's turkey day. That word. Turkey. It was like an explosion of pleasure in my ears. Turkey. Turkey. I wanted to rip it apart with my teeth. I wanted to burn my tongue on its hot skin as I tore out its bones and snapped them between my molars. I wanted to destroy it. But I never got close enough for even just a taste before I heard my aunt screaming from the bedroom. Wine glasses dropped as we all ran like a stampede for the back room where Dylan was no longer lying on his back, but straddling my fat aunt and feasting on her face. Do you like turkey as much as I do? <laughs> yeah, I love turkey. I mean, not, not to that level. Yeah, but I guess I never got any. No, bummer, dumb Dylan. Dylan ruined it. But you could you probably had an opportunity to at least get a little bite while they're all running. You could have possibly or this character could have devoured the bird. Yeah, that's some like past residual fat kid mentality <laughs> that I definitely still have from like elementary school. Very good. And also the sound effects. I love it. My favorite part? Time to make the gravy. I know, I know. Which my dad has never said once. <laughs> Time to make the gravy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see what happens next, huh? 
we just finished two. Let's go on to three. Dylan is obviously not dead like we thought. He's uh, undead. So the next episode is called Rebirth. Okay. Well, th- that, that means because you got bit. So yeah. something might be happening to you shortly. Possibly some sort of oh, rebirth. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. There's the link. Let's do it. Okay. It was mere seconds before we got there. And just another second before we snapped out of our trance and pulled Dylan's little body off of my delicious looking aunt. What was happening to me? I was craving her more than I was craving turkey. I had to hold myself back. To control my urge to finish what my brother started and and go for help. Yeah. Getting help. That was the right thing to do. I called 911 and I told them what happened. My dad had Dylan pinned to the ground. My mom was yelling at my dad. My aunt was crying and screaming and my little cousins were hiding in the other room, but I, I was standing in the kitchen eating turkey until the ambulance arrived and took Aunt Kathy to the hospital. And the police came and took my brother to the jail. They decided that my brother was too dangerous to be sent to a hospital. And that since it was most likely a mental condition that whomever they could find to analyze him could do it safely in the Justice Department building. That's what they told us anyway. What I found out later was that this had happened to 20 or 30 other homes that night. And the police were just taking them in for quarantine. This is the point where I should have said something about my own condition. But I didn't. I went to my room because I was feeling tired. And I fell into a deep sleep. And eventually died. I know I died because I didn't dream. Dreams have a specific feel to them where no matter how convinced you are that they're real, there's a little something on your shoulder saying, nope, didn't happen. But what I did see was real. Sweeping colorscapes, pulsating, rippling waves, almost like a a trampoline with billions of brightly colored marbles all over it. And the colors were infinitely different and beautiful. Shades and tones I had only caught glimpses of when I was a kid and I used to push on both of my eyeballs until the colors came. At first it seemed random, like misfirings in my brain, like nerve endings exploding and the shrapnel joining the rest of the magnificent display. But then it all began to come together. My brain started to figure it out like a puzzle. I could see through the chaos and the colors and the world around me was there. It was my house, but it it was moving. Like I could see all the molecules and the atoms that made up everything around me. I had passed away on my side. So all I could see was the inside of my room, Dylan's empty bed, door to my room, my desk, all dancing for me like a Van Gogh painting come to life. 
And then, right as the sun started to peek through the window into the room, causing the billions of colors to turn to trillions of colors, I began to drift ever so slowly into the room, like a perfect camera movement, just perfectly smooth, floating. I looked right, I looked left, I looked down. I didn't seem to have any physical presence at all. I was just, just sight. What's happening? A surge of electricity. The only thing I actually felt that night. And then the colors fade as I'm sucked back into my dead body. Back to the muted, ugly colors of our world's sunrise. Back into the miserable body that I am doomed to walk this earth in as I take my first breath in over eight hours. A parasite inside me has reprogrammed me for its own purposes. There's no fighting it now. It's time for protein. I'm hungry. And I know exactly who I'm going for first. The turkey. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so vivid. Did you ever press on your eyeballs like that? When you're like when you're a kid and you just press and you get to see like all sorts of different uh, colors and whatnot. Yeah, you get like the kaleidoscope. Yeah. I used to love doing that. I did that and also a lot of LSD. <laughs> Possibly the same effect. Just for about, uh, you know, several hours, six to eight hours. Oh, now here's another thing. So Dylan, mm -hmm. you know, he, he you saw that he had, had passed, he was dead. And then you went down, you're like, oh my God, I got to get turkey. But did he look dead? And then when he came downstairs to devour your aunt, was was like was he like, you know, when you see zombies in the movies, it's like, or was he, you know. So he here's my theory. When you first turn, there's no real difference. Like maybe you look a little cold or lifeless. Your blood isn't flowing anymore. So, you know, maybe you're a little bit more blue, a little bit, you know, that, that kind of look yeah. that a dead body has uh, that Kathy Koja was talking about before they're embalmed. Mm -hmm. But then eventually the blood, because it's not flowing, would pool. And so the ankles and the wrists would swell up and get like bulbous, right? And so they would have a harder time like reaching for you. So it would really be like... You know, the mouth is the most dangerous part because it would be harder. Their arms and their, you know, if you ever spin your arms when you're a kid and all the blood goes to your fingers and they feel heavy. Yeah. You know, it'd be like that. So that's why they would be a little bit slower to walk and a little bit harder to reach and grab you. All right. But it would right. probably be several days before you started to significantly really get... see it change. Okay. All so right. The next one is called Feast. And this is four. Number four. Number four. Here we go. First, I ate my dad. I attacked him in his sleep when he was most vulnerable. Much of my brain was still working, so I knew he would pose a threat if he was awake. I pushed a pillow over his face. I cut his neck with a serrated bread knife. The hot blood drove me mad. And I instantly began grabbing at him, pulling skin and flesh away from his gaping wound. My mother woke up just in time to see my first real bite, shoving my face into my now still father's throat. She screamed her last scream as I grabbed her top and bottom jaw with my bloody hands and I jerked her left and right over and over until she stopped moving, until she was still. 
feasted. In one sitting, I ate my father's neck and chest, leaving nothing but clearly picked bones, surrounded by skin and muscle like, like an explosion had happened. With a full belly, I curled up in the blood-soaked sheets of my parents' bed and rested. I knew what I was doing, and I saw everything. I knew that they were my parents. I knew that they were afraid. I knew they loved me and that I loved them. The parasite, the little thing in my brain that had killed me the night before and had taken over my motor skills and left me helpless to do anything to stop it. I couldn't even close my eyes unless it wanted me to. I just had to watch. I didn't sleep. I just rested, hoping that it was over, but knowing that it wasn't, counting down the minutes until the thing needed more protein. And when it did, it was up, feasting again, pulling bit by bit off my dad like a soggy bread bowl after the soup is gone. I tried to block it out, to desensitize myself to the actions my body was forcing on me. But I couldn't. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't block out the images of my parents' cold, dead faces. And what's worse is I knew they were still there. At least at first, drifting in the world of perfect colors. Like me, they must quickly be adjusting to see the new world around them. To see the brilliant shadow of my body eating theirs, which made what I was doing even more difficult to stomach. I wished for death, prayed for death, but it would not come. While I rested, I daydreamed of SWAT teams coming in and sniping me in the head with their laser-guided rifles, but they never came. And again, worse than ever was knowing that there was an afterworld, that even through death, I would have a consciousness and I would remember every single detail of this for all of eternity. Before my third feast, I vomited. No blood, no flesh came out, just a hard black ball covered in mucus. The waste for what the parasite no longer needed to keep my body running. This process went on for what felt like forever. Eating, resting, puking. Until eventually I'd picked my father's bones clean. Even up to his face. Lastly, I smashed in my father's skull with the butt of the knife. And I ate his brain. Now he was nothing more than a damaged skeleton. After resting and purging, I moved on to my mother. But about a week had gone by and she was beginning to turn. The parasite did not like this. I peeled her open for a taste, but the smell was revolting. There was no way we were going to ingest this spoiled protein. We needed fresh meat. 
Just then there was a noise outside. Movement. For the first time in a week there was something going on. Something happening. Something alive. Now was our chance to strike. I bolted for the front door, throwing it wide, and stepped out into the open air, ready for my meal. Great. The flesh-eating Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad, right off the bat. It's interesting. It, um, it turns out that the mother is spared. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like, you know, you don't, you, you don't kill the cat or you don't kill the dog, right? You know, there's like certain etiquette in movies. Yeah. You know, the mother was spared. And so she's going to turn. Sounds like she's she's in the process of turning, and you are not craving that uh, that 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 meat, if you will. Yeah, waited too long. Went back. Waited too long, and so then your your father now, since he's nothing but now bone and a and a like a destroyed skull, he, there's no chance of him coming. Oh, definitely back. not. And then were you ever possibly the character thinking like, because now he's devoured his his dad's head uh, brains. Time to make the gravy. Because that might go good <laughs> I'm with sure flesh. that will uh, last in this <laughs> character's mind for the rest of eternity. That is the scariest part of this story for me, is the idea that you're you're still conscious. You're still lucid. Yeah, you're aware that, that you, you have no control over this, and it's it's a wrongdoing. Uh, but yeah. you, you can't control this parasite that's just within you. to watch. All right, so here's the resurrected. The conclusion. I stepped outside, hungry, famished. I wanted something fresh, something rubbery, filled with blood, something I could really sink my teeth into. My eyes weren't responding the way they used to. Ever since I died, things took longer for my body to adjust to. So, when I got outside, Everything was just white. For a few seconds, all I could hear was yelling and loud noises. I could hear fire and stomping feet. Finally, my eyes focused and I could see that all around me was just pure chaos. So many meals running every which way. Mrs. Ferguson looked delicious. She was just kneeling in her front lawn, holding her dead, uninteresting kid. So since she was the first real appetizing thing I saw, I made my way towards her, ignoring everything else around me. I was walking differently. I felt stiff. It had been a few days since I had eaten, and I had thrown up the waste that morning. My stomach was hungry, and the parasite needed protein to send control signals to my brain. Keep my energy up or I would start to rot. Mrs. Ferguson screamed as I hobbled towards her. I remember seeing a look in her eyes like it was all over. She closed her eyes, and she began to pray, clinging on to the limp body of her daughter as I got closer and closer, and closer. And then two things happened. A tight feeling around my neck, something thin and metal closing in around it. I tried to turn around, 
to see who it was, maybe catch a taste in the process, but they kept behind me, tightening the cord, taking physical control of my body. And as I turned back to Mrs. Ferguson, I caught a quick glimpse of her lying on her back, their kid gnawing away at her plump, delicious looking neck rolls. My captor took control and inched me past my mailbox into the street where I caught a good look at the neighborhood. A few crashed cars, dead bodies everywhere and resurrected like me walking around. I saw Steve Thompson from math class like a mirror of myself. An animal control officer had him in one of those hoops on a stick that they use for dangerous pit bulls and wild dogs. Must have been what was on me as well. So my captor led me to a police riot squad van, like you see in the gang movies, the paddy wagon, where they cuffed my hands behind my back and gagged me with a zip tie and shoved me in with 10 others just like me. I have no idea how long the ride was. You see, my brain stopped keeping track of time as the insanity around me grew. All I remember was that all of us in the back were standing the entire ride, hunched over from the low ceiling of the van. And I remember bleeding from the corners of my mouth. Not because it hurt. I stopped feeling pain the moment the parasite killed me. But because I kept tasting the fresh blood and getting confused like there was a fresh meal somewhere right next to me. Eventually we got to the prison where they kept all of us. Upon entry, they sedated us. They tattooed the address of where they found us on our arms, stripped off all of our clothes, hosed us down and brought us to our cell. They must have been collecting us for weeks because the place was full of resurrected. I was in a cell with five other men, all stripped naked, all standing around endlessly waiting for food. One of them started to rot around the second day. His skin lost color and started to sag, his ankles and wrists pooled with liquid. A few officers and some men in lab coats took him away. We never saw him again. They did feed us from time to time. Raw, fresh meat in buckets. Must have been cow. Just crudely chopped up legs and thighs and random, mysterious, bloody meat. It was fine, but not the same as when it still had new oxygen in his blood. Not like stripping it from its epidermal package and eating it fresh. I'd say about a few weeks went by. We were never let out. Our black solid vomit was collected at the end of each day. And in the meantime, we stood with it. The only exciting moments were when the guards came around for feeding or cleaning because there was just a little chance that we might catch one of them and have a real meal. After what seemed like forever, the cells seemed to be emptying. The herd was thinning out. I was moved to my own cell where I didn't have to knock around with naked men all day. I was there for a while, standing, eating, puking, until one day the men in the lab coats came for me, cuffed me and zip-tied me and took me to a sterile looking room and they strapped me to a table 
and they took blood and then they attached an IV which I watched until my eyes faded to black and I died again but this time there was no room for floaty exploration death this time was like a hot fever my brain was boiling I was in pain for the first time in who knows how long as each part of my body reawakened I could feel the damage that had been polluting my blood I was there in the makeshift hospital for a long time long enough to make a full recovery oh almost the tendons in my ankles and knees had taken serious damage so I will hobble for the rest of my life. But small price to pay for having your life back, right? They found a cure. They killed the parasite, brought me back to life. And don't get me wrong, I'm very, very thankful. I just wish they could do something about these awful memories. Ooh, ooh. Haunted for the rest of your life with those memories of having to knock with naked other naked men. Well, I don't think that was the <laughs> scary part. No, I, 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 I like that line, though. After knocking around with all these naked men. But that's great. So then now you're, you're completely... Uh, this has now taken over your entire mind for the rest of your life. You'll, you'll always have these memories of Yeah, it's eating. trauma. Trauma is the real horror. That's that's uh, that's great. And so then also vomiting. So there's no zombie stool. Correct. Oh, okay, so they just vomit in and then and out in and out. And then so then once you now go back to uh, amongst the living now, do you think the character will have? Again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you think it'll have a regular like a BM or uh, and then what kind of stool will that have? Will it be like, yeah, oh, I don't know. Human. I don't know what was in that IV, but it seemed pretty healing. <laughs> Pretty healing. Pretty healing. But lots of therapy, I'm, I'm sure, will follow um, this character throughout the rest of uh, his life. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, is like since we're pre-taping this, there could be a vaccine for COVID at this point. Let's... We just don't know. Yeah. And we don't we... know if it'll fix people's pooping habits either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, who knows what kind of state we're going to be in when this actually, uh, you know, is My favorite out part out. of this is Mrs. Ferguson. I, I love the neck rolls, the plump neck rolls. Plump, delicious neck rolls. It's like a throw to Monty Python. Like, yeah, she had very large hands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a brilliant story, though, Joshua. Brilliant story. Oh, yeah, you know, it's fun. It's a lot darker and a lot gorier than uh, I feel like most of the stuff that I write, which is really interesting. Um, and considering this is like a year in, right? This is January 2014. So I'd been doing it for, for a year. a while, yeah. Cool. Stellar job. Stellar well, that was job. fun. Yeah, great journey. Yeah, so, um, you know, happy happy Thanksgiving, uh, happy upcoming holidays, and uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Haunting Season was created by me, Joshua Sterling Bragg. Produced by Greg Holdsman and Jessica Richmond, and executive produced by Matt Gielen, Patrick James Lynch, and Ryan Gielen, and is a joint production of Believe Limited and Matt Gielen. This episode was hosted by me, Cody Dugan. And me, Joshua Sterling Bragg. I also wrote and told the stories. Edited by Colby Crow and select music in this episode, including this final track, was made by North Innsbruck. 
Links are in the description. If you like our show, please subscribe on your favorite platform. Full episodes are available on YouTube, Facebook, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Next week. Bye.